Business success usually comes to those who are too busy to be looking for it. Join RVK for the award-winning RV on Business Show every Tuesday at 12 midday. It's not about thinking out of the box. There is no box. Only on 101.9 High FM. Welcome to 101.9 High FM. It's 11 minutes past 12. Thank you so much for joining me. And Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020. It's a great opportunity to really sit down, start the year. It's still very early. These kids have just gone back to school. If your kids are in private schools today, I'm not quite sure when the other schools start. And... Um, you know, it's really an opportunity to sit down and look at where everything is, where you're standing. I don't think the nerves and the flurry have started in the business world yet. People are still settling in. Up until about last week, Tuesday, you couldn't really get hold of anybody. So it's really the beginning. And what I wanted to speak today um, about was about resolutions. was about sitting down and we all sit on the beach and we have a bit of regret about the things we didn't do last year, things we didn't get around to, things that never happened. And then all of a sudden we get very invigorated and we're going to get things done. And the moment we get back, we are going to start doing things. And it's very easy to say that because at that point in time, you don't have to do anything, but know that you've deferred the problem for another two, three weeks in your mind and you are definitely going to get to it when you get back. And then when you get back, Life happens and you never get round to it. So what I really wanted to do today was to almost to role play a scenario. I've asked Adam Helper, who's a financial planner at Discovery, a well-known person in the community, a, a very well, a popular, you know, socialite, so to speak. A lot of people know him and somebody's got a wealth of experience just to come into the studio and to talk about the things that we often plan on doing. And um, what really triggered my imagination and why I asked Adam to really come in was that I met him at gym. I hadn't seen Adam at gym for a long, long time, not because he hadn't been there, but because I hadn't been there. And um, we bumped into each other. I thought this would be a great opportunity to sit down and discuss what needs to happen. What do we need to do practically? Resolutely and concretely in order to start the year off on the right, on the right foot. Um, Adam's only going to be joining us at half past. So in the meantime, what I want to do is just put down a few of the ground rules that I thought would be important to get one started on their own financial planning path. The first thing is, I suppose, is the regret that you haven't done it in the past. To turn around and say, you know, I actually don't know how much life cover I have. Or if I do have, I don't know if it's still relevant. I don't know if it's still the right price. I don't know if it's costed correctly. I don't know if it's spread across the different portions of life insurance, etc., etc. And then to say, right, how am I going to get it right? But one of the easiest things in the financial planning world is to actually get it right. Because you don't need to do it on your own. There's someone who's actually paid indirectly by you, but not directly by you. Nothing's coming out of your pocket. Somebody's paid in order to get the stuff right. And that's your financial planner. All you need to do is pick up the phone. The diary should be a little bit clearer now than it was in December. And sit down and say, I would like to speak to you about my financial planning scenario. I want to look at everything. And the first thing that goes through our mind is retirement. Do I have enough money for retirement? And most often we know the answer. And the answer is a resounding no. No in the I'm, I'm unlikely to get there, but the, solu- the solution to the problem is re- rather let's get there in some way than not get there at all. Let's rather plan than not plan at all so that we know certainty will be certain. 
I see failure will be certain if you don't plan. So it's all about planning and getting it done. So sitting down with your financial planner. The next thing is please, when you have your financial planner around, the, the person's going to come around. He or she is going to have spent time. They're going to get your schedules together. They're going to get your policies together. They're going to look at the analysis as how certain funds have done. And when they come to you, stuff will be neat and tidy and in a presentable form. The least you can do to yourself, let alone the person who's prepared the work for you, is to have clear, spare time when the person arrives. If you know that during the day it's not going to work, people will keep walking into your office. The phone will not stop ringing. Or if you're a mother and you're at home, that the children will keep disturbing you. Do it in the evening. And if you have older children that don't go to bed and are constantly, you know, you at their beck and call because it's the beginning of the school year and there's homework and there's projects and everything else that goes with that, have the meeting out of the office. Go to Michelos. Go to Mug and Bean. I don't care where it is. And sit down and have a glass of water, order something to drink and go through it step by step with your phones off so that you can get a resolution to what it is. And then lastly is to come up with a plan. And disappointment, depression is not a plan. In fact, that's an emotion that's useless because it doesn't help anybody. To turn around with a smile on your face and say, I started late. Why? Not because I was reckless, not because I was negligent, but because I had to. Bring, I was bringing up a family. I didn't earn enough to pay the exorbitant private school fees, medical aid, bond. I didn't waste money. We were not um, reckless with our money. But we just didn't have enough money to save. There were some months that were better, some months that were worse as an entrepreneur or self-employed person or as a commission earner. Or if you want a salary, you could simply say, we just didn't come out. So late on in life, that's when one maybe is the opportunity to start saving. If you can turn around and say, I've got something saved, something is always better than nothing. And I don't say that flippantly. Something can help pay your medical aid in your later years. Something can help give you a bit of an annuity income in your retirement. Again, whether you're in South Africa or if you've emigrated, you can still have that flow coming through. You've got something to fall back on. And if not, it's money that you can leave here and that you can tap into from time to time. But what I really want to discuss with Adam when he comes in a little bit further is this juggle that most people have. And I see it's the WhatsApps that I'm getting. No, what say SMSs. Haven't seen no SMS for a while. SMSs that we're getting through at the radio station just to remind you that the number is 34519. Is this juggle between paying off debt and saving? How does one juggle that? And we'll get through that to, through, to that topic a little bit later on. And I, I must warn you, if you're waiting for a magic formula or that magic wand that you can go by, pick it up and just wave around and your debt will disappear. It's not going to happen. It's about managing it correctly. And I have my own theory on this, which I'll discuss a little bit later. But those are the things that one needs to do. One needs to sit down, one needs to make a plan, and one needs to get it done. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break. When we come back from the from the break, I think Craig nearly fell off his chair because I'm early for once. And I'm going to start discussing how one divvies up the money that one's got in your financial planning section of your budget and uses it correctly. Let's take a quick break. I'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. 
Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 20 minutes past 12. If you've just joined us, welcome to 2020. This is the first financial uh, or Avi and Money show for 2020. And really what I thought we would discuss today is the resolutions, the you know, you the, the the scenario where you're sitting around and you realize that you haven't done what you should have done and now you're going to get it right, done and you defer that responsibility for two or three weeks because, you know, you're on the beach and you can't really do anything. And then when you get back, reality sinks in and it's just overwhelming. And what I said before the break is that the responsibility is shared. All you really need to do is call your financial planner. He or she will get everything together for you, come through to you, sit down and go through it with them. So you don't really need to do anything but make the time, free up the time and make it a concentrated period of time where you have no other distractions that you can sit down and get this done and focus on doing what you need to do. So what I said that you know before the break is that I would discuss the, the juggle between paying off debt and putting money away towards towards retirement savings. And quite frankly, if you look at it where in a scenario where your budget matches your income, let's work in a scenario like that. And we don't have money for retirement savings. We um, we don't have money to pay off our debt quicker than we, than, than we are paying off the minimum. We've got exactly what we've got. The scenario that I often advise is like this. Number one. Don't incur more debt. So it sounds logical. It sounds simple. Of course, why should I incur more debt? It's very easy until you get to November time every single year. And those of you who have kids in school know that it's the triple whammy season because you get the end of the year, all the police send monies to the school. You get the end of the year, please pay up all the outstanding stuff for the school. You get the, the, here's the school book and the stationery list. Please make sure you have it in by this date paid so it can be ready for January. Then there's no doubt that, uh, Joey and Moishi and, uh, and Susan and Claire have all grown out of their school uniforms or are changing schools and you have to go and buy new school uniforms and all you want to do is go away. And then there's those who work for you. Often there's bonuses or 13th checks that need to pay. So you just got nowhere to work, nowhere to move. So January is a very good time of that very long month of December, January. You almost said as one word because the one runs into the other. And uh, February, we can start to breathe a little bit, a little bit, sorry, because things have come back to normal. When it comes to debts, I said, number one, don't incur more. If you've got a smallest board of debt, which from my experience I've seen that people do have, there'll be credit cards, there'll be a bit of a revolving credit, there might be um, uh, private loans, etc., etc., all taken out of different areas at different times for different scenarios. First thing, don't incur more. Second of all, make sure you're servicing them all. And if you've got a little bit more to spend, where do you spend them? Let's take our bonds and put them aside for the moment. I'm talking about our mortgage bonds, our bonds on our properties. Let's not talk about that right now because that's a slightly different animal because of the length of that loan and the slight variations in interest rates and time. You can really do a lot of damage in a positive way to that loan by increasing it a little bit. But we'll get to that just now. My scenario, my solution always is that if you've got debt and you're looking to pay it off, look at those debts that you can put extra into that you cannot access again. So let me give you a a scenario of something that is not that. That's your credit card. 
your credit card's sitting at 20,000 rand a month, you're paying it off at 1,500 rand a month, and it's trotting away all very nicely, and now all of a sudden you're down to 15,000, and you want to increase the 1,500 to 1,700. But you've also got a revolving credit, for example, that let's say it's fixed, you can't access it. You access it once, you use it for whatever you had to use it, and now you're paying it off. I would strongly advise to take that rather the extra 200, 300 or whatever it is rand and put it into the revolving credit so that you can bring it down. You can get rid of it because you don't have the option to access this again. I wouldn't even do the interest rate calculation. I would go as to where am I going to reduce debt permanently and get rid of that. Because once you've reduced that debt permanently, and you don't need to access it again, which hopefully will be the scenario, then you've freed up a whole lot of money. What money have you freed up? The money that you're servicing that debt with every single month. And now you can double your repayment on your credit card. So it's all about being clever with those type of things because there's nothing more despondent than doing what happened to many, many people, many, not many, but I'd say about 10 years ago, there was a certain bank that came out with a scenario where you could borrow a huge amount of money linked to your mortgage bond to settle all your debt. And then you were meant to manage your mortgage bond from there. And if you worked it out in a perfect world, it was a brilliant solution. And a lot of people went for it. They they remortgaged their properties with this new bank. You then paid off all your credit cards. what What a therapeutic feeling of just calling up and what's the settlement figure and just settling all these things. And slowly, slowly life happened. And before you know it, you had the extra bond plus you had re-accessed all those debts. Yes, they were meant to have been closed, but often they weren't. So those are the pitfalls that one should work, should, should be aware of. Look at one debt, deal with it, get rid of it, because by getting rid of it, you free up its repayments in order to settle other debts. So that's the way I would advise that one looks at debt. And then when it comes to retirement savings, the Nike swish is the first thing that comes to mind. And that's a scenario of just do it. By the time I can hear you, a lot of people saying, I want to look at property. I want to look at bonds. I want to look at offshore. A retirement annuity is not the best way to do. Maybe I should increase my pension at work, etc., etc., etc. By the time you finish procrastinating, thinking about all those scenarios, years have gone by. If you've got a pension funded work and you can pick up the phone to the head of HR or you can send an email, it's easy to increase the amount of money that you're putting away towards your pension on the saving sides. Just do that. Simply do that because you can't adjust. It's not easy. You can't stop the debit order. You can't. You've set it. You've gone through the effort of sending the email, which sounds a little bit ridiculous, but it is an effort to send that email to do that, to undo that. It's unlikely to do it. But again, be modest and be careful. So, for example, if you're spending 7% of your salary on your time and savings, your pension or profit, and you want to increase it to 10%, just just make sure that that rand, that 3% rand is not going to affect you negatively on your day-to-day point of view where you're going to go now and incur more debt in order to serve at that extra 3%. But I would definitely do that. That's the easiest way to do it. It's almost out of mind, out of sight. And just a little bit of a, a corollary or a caveat with that. 
Please make sure that you understand where your money is going. No, I don't expect you to be a fund manager. And if you are a person who's not a fay with financial terms, not a fay with the whole financial savings scenario, and you look at your fund statement and you've got 15 funds there, I tell you now you've got a problem. Because you've got something there that you can't manage. You've got some creature there that you don't know how to control. I would sit down, ask your HR, who is the broker for this particular fund that services our company? Sit down with that person and go through it. And if that person is not prepared to give you the time of day, climb the ladder and make sure you get someone from that company who is prepared to give you the time of the day. Time of day. Because often what we run is a risk that is almost a back-to-back double-edged sword. The one risk we, we, we run is that if we're very young, we're too conservative, and therefore we don't get the good growth years as and when they come um, because we're too conservative, and therefore we miss out on those opportunities. And on the other hand, we might be agree too aggressive and we're closer to retirement and one should be more modest and more cautious with their money and rather be happy with modest, consistent returns than trying to wait for that time to come where you can shoot the lights out. Because one thing that the markets have taught us over the last five years, that time comes very, very few and far between. And if you've moved sideways in the last five years, then you've been very lucky. It's been a very, very difficult time. But those who have been conservative have done well. But yet, younger people, to be conservative, especially if you're putting money in, I would rather discuss it with our financial planner, but discuss the concept of buying cheaply underpriced assets that will seemingly give you a negative return now because they are not growing, so to speak. But the fundamental underpin investment is solid. Rather going in there with a portion of your investment and then in time reaping the rewards as the markets turn. So that's the first thing to do. If you've got a pension of poverty, it's the easiest way to do it. You can't fiddle it with it. You can't dabble with it. Together with that, you're going to get a tax deduction. You've got a quite a large amount of tax deductibility. What does that very simply mean? If we use simple arithmetic, if you earn 10,000 rand a month and you are spending 7% Towards retirement savings, that's 700 rand. 10,000 minus 7,700 is 9,300. You'll be taxed on the 9,300, not on the 10,000. So for those of you who are saying, hold on, I'm still being taxed on the 10 and I'm only getting my ream or my recoupment at the end of the year. Yes, you are. Some HR will do it for you and some that's not their function and they're not going to do it. So you're just handing your tax certificate from your insurance company or your pension fund certificate at the end of the year and it all gets comes out in the wash on your tax return and you pay SARS, that's which due to you. So if you had nothing last year and you've increased your pension or you've taken out a new or increased your retirement annuity, you should get something back this year. Hopefully the tax bracket hasn't changed, but in that scenario that's what you're gonna get that's what you get you're gonna get over there. Then I've just uh, had my t- train of thought slightly derailed, but someone's come through with a question, and this person wants to say, it's all good and well to save for retirement, but I need to save for shorter-term goals. I'm still renting. I'd like to buy a house. I am, am ha- My car is still um, through West Bank, and I would like to own it outright. And 
that's the SMS that's, that, that, that's come through. So there's no name, um, so there's a phone number, but if your phone number ends with 450, this is my um, take on what you're saying to me. Yes, I agree with you 100%. If you're looking to save for a shorter term goal, for example, a property, then that is part of your time and savings. Why do I say that? Because if you can own a property and you can spend the next 20 years paying it off as a younger person, you will reach a stage where you own that equity, you own that asset. So long as the three fundamentals of property come into play, and that's location, location, and yes, location, are there. You buy a property in a good area where you'll have natural growth. The property will appreciate every single year. That asset should keep up with inflation or maybe even outstrip inflation in certain years. And you've got something called equity. You've now got something that you can go and use either to borrow money against. But in a retirement scenario, there's a very good chance that you will have a home that you're going to bring your family up in that is far larger than a retired couple is going to need. So you might be able to sell the home. And buy something smaller and have a a change left over that one could help to supplement your your retirement income. But to give you the the famous example of the Strand in Cape Town, I was once speaking to a property, not a property, a furniture dealer there. Fascinating youngster who bought furniture from the farmers, mainly in the free state, who are coming to retire in the Strand. And he would give them a standard price for for, for their furniture. And uh, once I saw this transaction going through a few times, I said to him, but you don't even know what you're buying. He says, look, I do. They tell me on the phone. They've got, a, they've got a lounge suite, a dining room suite, this, that. And if they're from the farming community, I can take it for granted that it's good quality, often older and maybe even antique stuff. But I know what Guinan Richards or Morkels or one of these places is going to charge them to refurnish their new apartment. And that's what I give them. Enough money to go and refurnish the apartment. And I've almost got a safe bet that I'm going to do well on the transaction because the stuff is antique. It's beautifully looked after. It's beautifully maintained. And I can then simply um, resell it on and, and recoup my money over there. But the challenge that these people have is what they sell their farms for is what they buy their flat in the strands for. So they thought they would own this property, they would sell it, they could retire, and then the difference they could live on, and they can't. So it's all the savings that they, all the savings that they had accumulated, that's what they're living on. Well, our guest has arrived, so before I introduce him, let's take a quick break, let him settle down, calm down, get his thoughts together. We'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 Chai FM. It is 25 minutes to 12. Adam Halper, welcome to Chai FM. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Sorry I'm a few minutes late. Yeah, we'll just sort that out a little bit later. Okay. So uh, you didn't like my comment about resolutions for at gym and all that, eh? No, I think, I mean, we can see it with the gym activity. Uh, you know, every January you've got the gym is packed. And then February it gets a little bit less. And then... March, we back to the regulars. And then hibernation sets in. Yes, correct. Uh, Where the gyms make money. (laughs) (laughs) Adam, really what I want to talk today is just about kick-starting the resolution. Um, Just to recap, you know, it's it's very easy in December. We switch off after a couple of days and then we have big regrets about what we haven't done and we're going to get things done. But this is one of the easiest things because gym, you actually have to take yourself there. 
financial planning, all you need to do is pick up the phone to Adam and say, Adam, get my portfolio together. Please come through and see me. And the least that you need to do is have clear time. Don't let Adam do all the work. He arrives and you've got one phone on, kids running in and out, secretaries driving you nuts. Make the time, sit down and go through it. Um, but maybe let's focus a little bit more. I've spoken quite a bit about retirement savings and retirement planning. Let's just talk a little bit um, about life cover because it's one of those things that it's a grudge purchase no matter which way you put it. Um, but it's one of those things that once it's in place, the peace of mind is tremendous because you know that if God forbid something happens, you've taken care of the basics. What are the things to look at at the beginning of the year that could have changed? They will adjust the amount of life cover you have. Kids becoming financially independent, kids getting older, kids getting younger, you getting older, you getting older. Go right, you're nodding your head, off you go. No, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> so everything you're saying makes perfect sense. Uh, the reason we look at life cover specifically is because there's no point in saving for the long term. Uh, even if you've saved a significant amount, you know, uh, it's not, you have to look at protecting before you create. Okay. So protection would be, let's protect what is. Let's look at what the current scenario is. Who's dependent on who? What income is paying for what? Always look at the immediate risks. That's what I always do. We look at what is, what would happen if God forbid something life changing happened now? Because these things do happen. And, and you know, there's that song. I know it's not a Jewish song, but it's by Baz Luhrmann. He says, most of the things we worry about, in fact, all of them, don't actually happen. Okay? It's the stuff we don't expect that happens. And you have to plan for the unexpected. I was listening in my car on the way here. You were saying, if you don't have a plan, then why? I mean, not having a plan is planning to fail. Absolutely. So so the objective here is there's no point in saving a big amount of money every, I mean, believe me, it's, it's better than not doing it, but it's all good and well to do it on condition that if God forbid there's a life changing event today, that there is a plan of action. And I'm sure you've received more than one, but there's one particular phone call I'll never forget. I got a call from a mutual friend of ours. Um, there was a tragedy in the Jewish community. A guy had his family in the car and he went out and, he unfortunately got shot in front of his family and, and he was a guy who was struggling. And the question was, if he's got a bond, he's got life insurance, hey? Said, are you asking me or are you telling me? He says, I'm praying to you. So I said, hope is not a plan. Either he does or he doesn't. And he didn't. Why? Because it was an extra couple of rand. Um, and it's all those things that are absolutely important. So I suppose the most fundamental life cover that one needs is to cover the basic debt. Correct. So you were talking about debt earlier. You know, it's those holes should only exist while the debt holder is alive. Is alive. If God forbid that person who holds the debt, who is servicing the debt, encounters a situation where they no, they no longer can afford, can create an income, earn money, uh, and service that debt, the the first thing you do is make sure that all those holes are plugged in the event of a life changing situation. And then we need to run to the shops. When we come back, something just popped into my mind. I had a scenario just in December where someone passed away, had life cover, small amounts, but the entire amount went to state duty and to winding up the will. So let's just discuss that when you come back. I'll be back with you in a moment. This is RV on Business. 
Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's 19 minutes to 12. And in the studio with me is Adam Halper, financial planner at Discovery and a well-known, you know, person in the Jewish community. Adam, what I mentioned to you just before the break was this almost sickening scenario where a person has a certain amount of life cover and the big things are taken care of. The bond's covered and maybe the big credit card. The car goes back to West Bank with a bit of a shortfall and that's covered. But all of a sudden the estate gets wound up and the, let's say in this scenario, the wife turns around and says, oh my goodness, I've got legal fees. I've got transfer fees. I've got fees to pay the people who are winding up the, the will. By the time I'm finished, all those little bits of life cover get totally wiped out. Yes, I didn't have to sell anything to pay them, but I don't have any liquid cash now. I've got the assets, but I can't live on the assets. What's your advice to somebody as to how to overcome that? And are these certain tricks or uh, industry wisdom that someone could use to forego that horrible scenario? So essentially what we're saying is that whatever sum of insurance is due to the widow or whatever sum of cover is supposed to be paid out is eroded by these costs. Correct. Okay. So what I would do, and I always get this double checked because I'm not, uh, I mean, we learn, we know how to use a financial calculator, but, uh, I always get this double checked. We work out what actually would the costs be should it have happened yesterday. We work out that is the sum that is going to erode. That's what we're looking at. An estate duty, you know, the truth is winding up an estate is a, is a difficult story, even for a simple estate. Correct. Okay. It's a legal process. It takes time. You've got to put adverts in the paper for certain things. You've got to, you've really got to, it's, it's a hell of a process and you need to make sure that your, uh, executor is aware of everything because they technically are acting on behalf of those who have they are acting on behalf of those who have um, passed away. Correct. And they don't do it for free, and rightfully so. It's their work. Um, I'll never forget, I had a client who, who had passed away about three years ago, and I asked his, I asked the executor, I was busy help, I was dealing with the executor, and I asked the executor, why uh, is this something you get with all your clients? It was a particular issue, and she was she laughed. She said, "I've actually never met any of my clients." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, the truth is, we talk about this a lot, and we have to laugh because it's it's a horrible conversation to have. But I can tell you, once you look in the mirror with your money, that's what I call it: looking in the mirror, looking in the mirror with your money. Nobody likes doing it, but you do it once a year, minimum, and. Do it with your professional financial advisor who, who can, who's got your best interests at heart and will guide you accordingly to make sure that those, I wouldn't say there's any industry secrets as such. I think it's, well, not that I'm aware of, but it, technically we just increase the sum insured. Um, you know, someone's asked over here that the person who's done their will has offered them life insurance to cover those expenses. Is that life cover a good idea? I think there are there are certain uh, products in the market, financial products in the market, where uh, companies that uh, do draft wills for for clients do offer a. It's almost like a bridging product, so it bridges the gap between the the time of death, and obviously, okay, not only that, but it it also works out. It covers all the legal costs. So technically the, the amount of cover that you do have in place where the bulk of your insurance is, is net. It's after all Correct. those costs. 
So there are products like that, and I mean, various providers do offer them. A question that's come through here, which is I think something that you and I grapple with on an ongoing basis. So this guy here, JL, wants to know, um, I have an option of buying more life insurance for the same premium, but the annual increase will be greater. Should I go ahead with it? In other words, they, you know, if you use discovery terms, they're looking at a flex rate of policy as opposed to accelerator. In other words, the annual increase, instead of being maybe 10%, will be 12 or 13. And therefore, if you amortize it backwards, it brings down the initial premium. And uh, when, just I've asked you the question. I'm answering it myself. But I found that often in a younger person, it takes many years mm. for that difference to be caught up. What would your advice be there? So. You've got to look at what time horizon, same, similar to investment, what time horizon are you looking to keep this cover for? So are you, is this the kind of cover you're going to keep only when you have a bond? Or, so what I often do is I have the Rolls Royce policy, which is the one that will take care of the lifestyle, the family, make sure that all the immediate costs are taken care of and that life continues from a financial perspective without any bumps. Then if that particular client you know, what I will always tell my clients is get hold of me anytime you have a life-changing event. Whether it be good or bad, I need to know about it because your portfolio or whatever financial plan you have put in motion needs to remain relevant. And if you've bought a property and you've taken on more debt and obviously increased your balance sheet as well, you need to ensure that if your time horizon is, say, five years that you're going to tackle this bond, you've worked out that you are going to pay this bond off in five years, then what I, I mean, there are options and there's different ways of paying for life insurance. So if you get, you know, don't be fooled by the funding patterns. A lot of insurers will give you a product and say, look, we can give you X amount of cover for this premium. And then you think it's like car insurance, right? We're going to go and price it all over the place and shop around. Life insurance is different. Life insurance is priced over a life expectancy of your particular demographic, smoking status, health, qualification, all of that criteria. And if you look at it over a graph of, say, 10, 15 years, it, you know, the, the, the individual who asked the question here, it depends on his age, his or her age. It depends on what exactly, how long do they plan on keeping this policy? Is it a whole-of-life policy? Is it a term policy? How are we, what is going to be most cost-effective for them? And that is exactly why you need to sit down. Everyone, there's no uniform answer for that. You have to look at that individual's objectives. So there's your answer, Jail. is that uh, sit down, please call your financial planner and uh have a look and, and, and take it from there. And someone, Adam, just says, yeah, I haven't spoken to my financial planner for a long time. I know they're still around. Should I continue to use them or should I find a new financial planner? My opinion would be the fact that you haven't spoken to your financial planner for a long time, there's two parties at fault here, you and the financial planner. And if the financial planner is around, someone who's already got your information, pick up the phone. If they don't get back to you, if they don't respond, if you're not getting the service you want, then move. But, you know, if it's someone that you've ha dealt with and there's been no reason maybe to speak to them, don't break that, break that relationship because ultimately everybody's going to make you a promise. 
But who's actually going to be there at the graveside when things happen? And who's going to be there when you, when you really need them because they've been with you for this amount of time? Let's take a quick break. Craig, again, I'm about 50 seconds early. And uh, we'll be back with you in a few minutes. This is RV on Business. Welcome back to 101.9 High FM. It's nine minutes till 12, but Adam, we've only actually got about three or four. So let's quickly move on to the wool because we've talked about life planning, life cover. The wool is, a, is an inter- integral part of thing. Almost, I almost say that if you haven't got a wool, you haven't got a chassis on which to build your financial planning. Um, a lot of people haven't got a wool in my experience because it's just too much of a schlep. And when you ask them, why is it a schlep? You'll get every excuse in the world. Oh, well, the banks are useless. The banks charge too much. This lawyer wants too much. So, well, what have you done about it? Oh, I've done, I've done absolutely nothing. Where are some easy places for people start to start to get a will and to get one in place? So, there are providers that do offer will services. Um, it's not really, you know, there's, there's most of the banks, you know, I'm actually quite pro doing a will with a bank or with an institution that's independent. And the reason I say this is money makes people go crazy. I don't know why, but the minute they have that power and the deceased is not, I mean, they're not around to speak for themselves. It's almost, if you make it a very close friend or a family member or an accountant or your lawyer or whatever, it's okay, but have it overseen by an independent objective body. And the reason I say this is I've seen cases where it's actually not gone and the siblings fight and everyone argues and it causes big drama. So wills, most of the banks will do your will, uh, normally free of charge because they appoint themselves as executors or co-executors. So they're actually waiting. Yes. <laughs> it's terrible, but, um, it's a long-term investment for them. They, for them, <laughs> precisely. So, so make sure, you know, a will is such a simple document. If you think about it, it's a piece of paper that says, this is who I am. This is what I own. This is what I owe. And this is what must happen if I die. Y- you build around that. Okay. And, that is a legal document that has to be around. Granted, if you have life insurance policies and whatever, and you've made individuals outside of your estate the beneficiaries, there's no state duty payable to your spouse, for example, if if you've uh, made them an individual beneficiary. However, be careful. If you make it payable in terms of your estate or in terms of your will, always make sure that that will is relevant and up-to-date and that your dependents have a plan of action, that there is an ABC process. This is what happens if I die. Put it away. Don't revisit it again, but do it. My wife calls it the book of life. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yes. And um, it doesn't get changed until life changes. Precisely. So if the helpers and when the helpers move into the next mansion yeah, right. or uh, <laughs> open up an overseas branch of the company, um, you know, something fundamental in your financial world, then there's no reason to visit it. You know, just that, an, another thing that, you know, people must be aware of is that don't appoint Uncle Bob as your trustee and don't tell Uncle Bob because Uncle Bob's going to wake up one day and say, what, me? First of all, I know nothing about trusts or B. I know everything about trust and, and being a trustee, but I can't stand these kids. 
I don't want to be involved. And now he's got a fiduciary responsibility, a responsibility, a legal responsibility that he or she doesn't want. So just check that you're doing it. And the other thing is that I often find when it comes to executors um, of the will, people appoint so-and-so, a friend, a cousin, as you said, because they're a lawyer, because they're an accountant. Ask the accountant who's worked at a legal fees, at a legal firm for the last 40 years as the financial director or the financial manager. When's the last time he saw an estate being wound up? And he'll tell you fourth year varsity. Thank you. So <laughs> he'll say to you, all I'm going to do is go down to the second floor, hand it to those people and get them to do it. Mm-hmm. But a co-executor, I think, is sometimes quite important because it allows the executor to get information they want without having to run around for it. So they can call and say, listen, do me a favor, go to your late sister's house and get me this information. Go through the files, find this piece of paper. Call this cousin. You've got his number. Asking what the scenario is uh, without having to get a court interdict in order to do it. Have we got like 30 seconds or yeah, 10 seconds? Craig's a man of cardinals. Okay, today. won't be long. Uh, a, a huge issue that people fail to, to think about is if, you know, parents normally travel together. Normally. Okay. And when they travel together, especially young parents, okay, those have, parents have small kids. Those kids have a lot of Please, God, future expectations and decades ahead of them. If, God forbid, something happens to both parents at the same time, and it's a dreadful thing to think about, but it, it, isn't, it isn't impossible. What happens then? Who, who have they chosen to be the legal guardian of their kids? And what sort of trust provisions have been made for those kids? Or what sort of financial provisions have been made? For those guardians to raise those kids And there are various products in the market And I've had a few claims on them over the years Where education is taken care of uh, Various things are taken care of And the worry is gone So even if you think That you're not, in inverted commas Rich enough to do a will You couldn't be more wrong You have to do a will Irrespective Even if all you have is debt Have the provision, have the plan because without a plan, the government, you know, we, God, God forbid you die in test state, that is the most dreadful thing, especially, I mean, we got, you've got to wait years for anything to move. If you die without a will, even if you've got debt, you will certainly impoverish your children. Correct. Fantastic. Adam, we've run out of time. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. And Sarah, just to let you know, um, the, the studio number is 010-140-3020. 010-140-3020 Please call through And uh, leave your name and number um, I know your name is not Sarah And um, I will call you back And then I can discuss who to put you in touch with um, Based on your question Thank you very much Thanks for listening And I will chat to you next week